You Want It Darker by Ms. Chunks. Chapter 68, Vices. Summary, the emotional toll gets heavy and it's time to pay the Crypt Keeper. Sakachi picks up on the first ring. You done? Yep. Aizawa answers short and sharp, leaning against a dumpster and trying not to let his soul pour out through the gaping emotional wound in his chest. I'll send you the coordinates. And then, just because he's been staring at the mural on the far wall for a few minutes now, and thinks he's going to be seeing it burned into the back of his eyelids for the rest of his fucking life. Aizawa gives Sakachi the warning any sane individual is due, before walking in on what they're about to walk away from. You better prepare yourself. It's just as bad as all the others. Or perhaps worse, because it's Hitoshi. Isn't that kind of the point? Sakachi thinks he knows. That after everything they've seen, there's nothing that could be worse. But he'd be dead wrong. Because it's not just the body or the note, but the context that makes it so awful. Don't say I didn't warn you. Aizawa sighs and hangs up, just as Hitoshi's walking over. Cricket left already, thank fuck. Scattering as he does like a roach to pursue his own dark ends. Unsurprisingly, Crix wasn't keen to overstay his welcome in the company of their fake murder victim and Hitoshi's ominous death note to his father, which Aizawa hates. Hates. It repels every fiber of his being, and he's the one with no real relation to Hitoshi, so he can't even begin to imagine what Hitoshi's feeling in this moment after scrawling up those words. You made me. More than the genetic material and desire for progeny through which Dr. Shinso created his son, but the formation of a heartless person who would make an innocent woman cut herself to ribbons and bleed to death just for show. Dr. Shinso did it once already with Shioko, and Hitoshi was supposed to be his masterpiece. Looking at the scene over Hitoshi's shoulder, Aizawa can see exactly what the doc wanted to turn his son into. And from the desperate, dark strain in Hitoshi's face, it could be believed the psycho got closer than gives anyone comfort. Because even if Hitoshi didn't kill this woman himself, he's used her death as if he did. And that's not so distant as to be written off entirely. Aizawa doesn't know what else he's supposed to do, except to ask, You okay? Knowing the answer, and the lie that must be given anyway, they don't have enough time to not be okay. Hitoshi shrugs, and Aizawa's glad he got rid of Cricket already, because it makes things easier now. For Aizawa to gingerly reach for a pouch of water on his waist that he unclips and holds out, to wash your hands. Hitoshi nods, a distant glaze over his eyes, and holds his clean hand 
and holds his hands out as Aizawa uncaps the bottle and trickles clean water over bloodied palms. The water brightens the dried, dark red back to vivid crimson. Hitoshi's slowly rubbing his hands over each other to wash the worst of it out, at least as far as the eye can see. Is Sakachi coming? He will be, as our replies. Torn between needing to ensure no one else comes upon this scene before the detective does, and not wanting Hitoshi to be too close when that happens. As if it'll be easier to bear if Hitoshi doesn't have to be there and see anyone's reactions. Hiding from reinforcement of the thing he's been trying so hard to disprove. That he's a hero, not a villain, despite what the packaging says. We don't have to wait here, Aizawa blurts. Not at the mouth of the beast, ready to be judged and found disturbed. Aizawa can't do that to Hitoshi when he's already done so much. Something glimmers in Hitoshi's eyes on Aizawa, and he feels a powerful ebb of relief come from the teen. We don't? No. Aizawa shakes his head. Just have to keep an eye on it. Aizawa steps away, and Hitoshi stalls, looking back behind him. It's a grim picture, the woman's head hanging unnaturally to one side, just balanced with her cut arms spread outwards carefully, positioned to show up nice for the police cameras. No wonder Shioko's first victim committed suicide in the same way, as Aizawa suddenly recognizes like a magic eye picture coming into focus. No wonder that's almost how Hana went, too. This was their bread and butter in the doc's notorious research. Hitoshi's message stands tall, a pillar in blood that gnaws on Aizawa's very bones, until he doesn't know what he's saying, until the words have already come out. You're not like him. Hitoshi's violet eyes narrow suspiciously. Who? Him. It needs no further explanation, but to test is to confirm they're on the same page, and Hitoshi likes to be on the same page as Aizawa. The mentalist energy is stronger than ever between them. The same lighthouse call that Aizawa recognized earlier directed at Yamaguchi, but this signal is more conflicted. Stormy seas and go-but-don't-go emotions from Hitoshi being tossed back and forth in unresolved turmoil. Hitoshi pouts. You're just saying that. I mean it, Aizawa insists. You're nothing alike. Not in the ways that matter. But in some ways. The truth is there, undeniable. Aizawa wouldn't have eyes on the bloody note behind Hitoshi if there weren't similarities in the minds of the demented doctor and his only son. Perhaps. But that's why you can do this. Only you. Aizawa screws the cap back on his water pouch and replaces it on his belt, freeing up his hands to hold Hitoshi's shoulders. You're the opposite to him, Hitoshi. Everything you got from him, you've turned into something good. Then why don't I feel good? 
Hitoshi spits with a flinch that's painful. Strikes from one mind to another like banging on a bent nail. Whipping his head back, turning over one shoulder to stare at what he made. You call that shit good? His hands have already dried in the summer warmth and the rubbing on his hoodie, but the darkness of blood sinks deep and stays around and under Hitoshi's nails, which dig into his palm as they curl into fists. It's what you wanted. Aizawa's grasp is steady on Hitoshi, but nothing else feels remotely calm. The energy coming off him like sticking your head out of a speeding car window during a rainstorm. A tang in the air like lightning is about to strike. It's what he wanted, and I did it so easily. Hitoshi sounds panicked, his breath too shallow and sharp to really be delivering enough oxygen to his brain. And Aizawa could have done more when he saw this coming a mile off. I didn't even... I didn't... Breathe, Hitoshi, Aizawa says, with far more pleading than command. And he'll use his quirk if he has to tame the electrical storm coming off Hitoshi, but he'd prefer not to resort to that. With me, okay? Aizawa can tell, but there's nothing like showing. So he goes first, taking a deep breath with his gaze piercing the haze of Hitoshi's. Remembering when they did this together, in a tiny breakout room just outside the dock's cell. And yet it feels so much closer this time. To both of them. So much more intense and necessary than when Aizawa barely knew Hitoshi and was just learning to love him. Nothing like now, when is not much of a mentalist, but he can push back against the storm coming from Hitoshi with his own soothing energy. The mental equivalent of a bear hug, which is going to be up next if he can just get Hitoshi to slow down and stop hyperventilating himself into a panic attack. Filling his chest to the fullest part and holding his breath, Aizawa feels Hitoshi's shoulders rise as he does the same. The power in their connected gaze is like being held onto tightly, and Aizawa's not letting go. Exhaling slowly, Hitoshi deflates as Aizawa does, taking several breaths more, forcing their breathing to flow together as Hitoshi's fists gradually unfurl. You, Aizawa starts, with the certainty he believes this right down in the core of his very being, are nothing like him, and you never will be. It doesn't matter if it's objectively true or not, because it's what Aizawa believes, and Hitoshi needs to know someone to believe that about him right now. Because it's always been a double-edged sword, but there are advantages of Aizawa being the sun and stars to Hitoshi, as he calms under Aizawa's hold, like a restless baby rocked in a cradle. Hitoshi swallows, blinks heavily, as Aizawa forces his way through the stormy emotional static, coming off the teen like leaning into a gale to walk through it. Maybe leaning a little too hard when his arms bend and he just encloses Hitoshi in a hug, without an ounce of warning beforehand. If Aizawa had done this too soon, he'd likely have felt Hitoshi stiffen, 
not ready to accept such a strong gesture out of the blue. But thankfully, Aizawa's timed it right, and Hitoshi buries his face in the piles of Aizawa's capture weapon and takes several deep, ragged gasps of only holding it together until it's safe to fall apart. I know. Aizawa murmurs without realizing Hitoshi never actually said anything, holding one arm firm around the teen's shoulders and the other rubbing a palm gently up and down his back. You did great. Hitoshi shudders and grabs the sides of Aizawa's jumpsuit, not fully hugging back, but holding on to him for dear life as the aftershocks come through. Having Cricket around probably helped negate some of this at first, putting it off until there was no one else around. Just Aizawa in his self-appointed position as the wall for Hitoshi to fling every emotion at and see what sticks. Although Aizawa hears no sobs, Hitoshi's eyes are red and wet when he withdraws from the crook of Aizawa's neck, and he rubs his nose with a hand still lined in all that the creases with someone else's blood. Dr. Shinso could live in solitary confinement for a hundred years, and it wouldn't be enough suffering to count out even a fraction of what he deserves for what he's done to his son. Aizawa goes back and forth on the subject of whether he'd ever break his oath not to take a life for the doc. But death really is too good for some people. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Hitoshi sniffles, and having backed away, Aizawa can't resist one indulgence more. Tugging Hitoshi back into him for one last hug and squeeze, with a fleeting graze of his mouth along Hitoshi's hairline, just behind his temple. Hitoshi's stiffer this time, less expecting. But before the gesture settles, Aizawa speeds on, spinning Hitoshi around to guide them from behind the dumpster and weave out onto the street. Hitoshi in front, with Aizawa's hands on his shoulders, steering him from behind. Nearly opposite to the mouth of this alleyway, there's a scaffolding clinging to the front of a shop front with no workmen on it, which will do as good as anywhere for a spot to watch that no one except the detective they're waiting for probes into the alleyway containing Hitoshi's supposed second victim. Blinking painfully in direct sunlight, Aizawa's hands don't really leave Hitoshi as they cross the road and climb the first level of the scaffolding. A grip on his upper arm here, or a hand-to-hand -hand helping him up there. And logically, Aizawa knows he can not be touching Hitoshi and everything will be okay. But hell if that Shinso magnetism isn't a whirlpool he'll willingly give himself into from time to time. Hitoshi doesn't seem bothered by Aizawa's need to paw at him, and although Aizawa's not seen enough to make a real comparison, Kiki and Hitoshi are neither especially touchy with each other, nor conspicuously not so. But Aizawa, Aizawa's always been a tactile person, and Hitoshi has more often than not responded positively to contact between them, so Aizawa's more than fine with letting himself settle close enough to Hitoshi on the second layer of the scaffolding that their knees touch, side by side on the worn boards held up by dusty steel poles. The only complication this proximity creates, of course, is when no less than two minutes into the wait, the urge for a cigarette crawls out of Aizawa's ear and starts gnawing its devilish little teeth into him. Aizawa fidgets, 
he cracks his knuckles, sweats, and fails to make conversation with Hitoshi, who's fallen into an emotionally exhausted, low-tide, contemplative silence. And when finally it's time to give up the gauntlet, as how rummages for the pack of gilt cigarettes he's been hoarding for a time such as this. Aizawa just isn't good at waiting, and this is as relaxing a way to kill time as he can reasonably get. That bad, huh? Hitoshi speaks up when he sees Aizawa settling the cigarette between his lips, sparking the cheap lighter kept in the box next to the next to light it with a grisly murmur. It's a bad habit, he reminds Hitoshi, even as he sucks a long, therapeutic drag that de-stresses him better than any breathing exercises. And that's the fucking catch-22 of it all. Yeah, you make it look terrible, Hitoshi replies sharply, too close to Aizawa to not read each other with perfect clarity, as the cloud of acrid smoke blows out of Aizawa and folds them both. Nicotine dulls the hard edges of Aizawa's anxiety, and sets his eyelids to a three-quarters shudder, trying not to be the face of bad decisions and clearly failing at it. Hitoshi's watching Aizawa from no less than an arm's length away, and now that the outburst from the alleyway is behind him, the doors once thrown open have been shut back up tight again, though perhaps with a few extra boards nailed over them for safekeeping compensating for the vulnerability with a minx of a sly look at Aizawa next to him. Give me a drag. Aizawa takes his own drag. No. Hypocrite. Hitoshi tries, but Aizawa just flicks ash out that dissolves onto the two-story fall below them. A perfect view, almost, all the way down the alleyway across the street, though thankfully not so direct they can see the fucking body. Small blessings. Yes. Azawa inhales again, not expecting his arm to suddenly lock up or body to betray him, as control of his body is wrenched away like flipping a kill switch. Knowing Hitoshi this well, it's absurd Aizawa didn't anticipate that Hitoshi would take their constant back and forth as a cheeky opening for his quirk. But he obviously didn't. Completely powerless, and for once not open or receptive to the control Hitoshi forces over him with terrifying strength. Aizawa watches himself extend the cigarette out to Hitoshi, who takes it amiably from his fingers, one stolen back for one taken before, and puts it to his grinning lips. It's totally different being controlled by Hitoshi against his will, as Aizawa grapples with as he tries to beat against the walls of his own head, and gets absolutely nowhere. Frustrated and freaking out as he realizes how profoundly he can't reach his quirk down in the hole. The moment of opportunity when he might have snatched control back is long gone. Rendered a helpless puppet that enables Hitoshi to steal a puff on his cigarette, in case of being the worst role model ever. But then Hitoshi starts coughing inexperienced and more sold on the aesthetic of smoking that Aizawa presents as an experienced smoker than the reality to a brat who's barely done it. And the knee pressed against Aizawa's shakes just enough that it nudges Aizawa out of it. Activating his quirk with a rush of terror-stricken impulse, 
Aizawa glares angrily at Hitoshi as he goes to snatch the cigarette back. Naturally, Hitoshi holds it teasingly away from him, stretching his arm up and away, because for any moment of emotional outpouring, there's an equal and opposite acting out that must come with it. Don't do that, Aizawa growls as he puts a hand on Hitoshi's shoulder to weigh him down, pressing up out of his cross-legged position and lunging across to rip the cigarette out of his thieving little fingers. Yeah, yeah, one drag isn't going to stunt my growth. Hitoshi rallies provocatively, and Aizawa supposes they all cope with the inertia of having to wait in different ways. Being the only thing around for Hitoshi's entertainment, Aizawa supposes annoying him must fall quite high on any precious teenager's list of things to do. I meant using your quirk on me, Aizawa snaps as he sucks crossly on the cigarette, almost finishing it with a single angry smoke cloud that he blows out of the corner of his mouth rather than break laser red-eye contact with Hitoshi, not trusting him to try his luck again as if this is a game. Aizawa can admit he sort of made it into one, with the casual way they've battled quirk to quirk in the past. Hitoshi knows this too, but what had been playful banter falls apart, his brow creasing as the sincerity of Aizawa's unhappiness, and scale of Hitoshi's misjudgment sinks in, even a shadow of mistrust in his eyes as he responds, But I thought you liked my quirk when I want you to use it. Aizawa rasps, unblinking, and realizes that his quirk does quell the inebriating Shinso effect, silencing the mentalist radio waves that let him get so soft and comfortable with Hitoshi he was taken advantage of. Not when you're making me do something you know you're not supposed to. Hitoshi's frown creeps up from his jaw to hang despondent in each corner of his mouth and Aizawa feels bad to have to bring down the hammer right now, when Hitoshi's having such a shit time. But that's probably exactly why they're in this situation, unfortunately. There's nothing like being pushed to make pushing others feel appealing, like something normalized and deserved. Maybe Hitoshi wanted to prove his quirk isn't only a bloodthirsty weapon, but short-circuited when he combined it with his wild streak of disobedience, in the face of being told no to something he wanted. Hitoshi's still young, too, and needs to accept that a precedent set before doesn't mean it'll always be alright, even though he should know better than to use his quirk to force Aizawa, or anyone, to do something without, or worse yet, directly against their consent. Aizawa's sure Hitoshi does know all of this, but his scales are just a little unbalanced right now. The two-way workings of that pervasive Shinso effect taking things too far. Fine, Hitoshi murmurs sullenly, looking away, down at the mouth of the alley below them. Be like that. After a moment of tense, resentful silence, he adds, You can stop giving me that look. I won't do it again. Aizawa blinks his dry eyes and lets his quirk settle, fumbling around for eye drops as he puffs through the last breaths on the cigarette and stubs it on one of the scaffolding poles, ditching it in his designated ashtray pocket as he swaps one nervous habit for another.
Hitoshi could really do a lot better in a role model. Hisawa should try to be better, and feels as sorry for himself as Hitoshi looks. Tipping his head back into the burning sun to drip the saline solution into his eyes, Hisawa sighs despondently. I'm sorry. I shouldn't smoke around you. It's fine. Ma does. Hitoshi returns morosely, kicking his feet out to hang over the edge of the scaffolding platform. That's up to her. Doesn't mean I've got an excuse. Oh, the things Kiki would do to Aizawa if she knew the things Aizawa exposes her son to on a regular basis. You don't have to. Hitoshi cuts himself off, choosing words, and Aizawa chances a look at him. Their knees are no longer touching, and the distance between them accordingly widened, but not totally unnavigatable. You don't have to pretend to be someone, some perfect role model around me. Just be yourself. I feel like that's half the problem sometimes, Aizawa confesses. And he's thought this through this part a lot, told it to several people, but never Hitoshi, so he might as well. You remind me of myself a lot when I was your age. Oh, your dad killed people too? Hitoshi's joking, but Aizawa doesn't mind. No. I didn't have nearly as good an excuse for acting like a little asshole. Hitoshi doesn't quite laugh, but he smiles fleetingly, just for a moment. My parents owned a convenience store, much like the ones supporting the scaffolding they're sitting on. If this were his parents' shop, Aizawa's tiny room would have been on the other side of the wall from where they're sitting just about, so maybe that's why Aizawa's coming over reminiscent. The only thing my dad ever killed was roaches in the basement. With a thin smile, Aizawa continues. He's still an assassin with a slipper. After all, Aizawa had to get his eagle-eyed accuracy from somewhere. Though now his father uses those skills to fish, an unassuming master with a long rod. Aizawa makes a note to himself to call his parents soon. Assure them he's not dead, and... Maybe even mention Hitoshi, should the chance arise, he supposes. Where are they now? Hitoshi's asking, and Aizawa knows without question that his parents would adore him. They always did say they wouldn't mind something resembling a grandchild, which Aizawa supposes Hitoshi somewhat resembles at this point. Retired. They live out in the countryside. Aizawa supposes this is as good a distraction as any while they wait for Sakachi to show up, and he certainly knows enough about Hitoshi's family to deserve a little in return. Huh. Hitoshi swings his feet off the edge of the platform, and it makes Aizawa nervous that he'll attract attention or, for some reason, decide to jump off. But he chalks that up to nerves. What's that mean? Aizawa probes. And maybe, if they're lucky, they found a middle ground to keep them occupied while they race the clock. Or at least the detective. Somewhere between angry crying, stealing cigarettes, and arguments over Hitoshi using his quirk on Aizawa. 
I just figured you'd have a whole tragic backstory going on, Hitoshi reveals with private amusement. Looking Aizawa critically up and down, like he can't quite believe what he's seeing. So it's all just attitude with you? Remember when I said 30 seconds ago you remind me of myself? If this conversation happens to firm up the idea that Hitoshi shares things with Aizawa that he doesn't with his biological father, because every individual is so much more than bloodline inheritance, that's just a happy byproduct of a perfectly innocent conversation to kill time while they wait. You said I've got a good reason for my attitude. Hitoshi's coy grin lurks just under the surface, and... Ugh, Aizawa likes this brat way too much. Don't let it go to your head, he admonishes unconvincingly, because it's just been proven Hitoshi can literally get away with murder under the right circumstances. Even good excuses wear thin. Hitoshi manages a proper smile now, not strong, but still there. You're just saying that. Try me, brat. Aizawa invites, knowing he'll ever truly get knowing he'll never truly get sick of Hitoshi's attitude. Not because the way his patient wears out with his normal students. Because Hitoshi moved into Aizawa's heart like there's been a room made up for him there since the start, and proved himself the exception to every rule. That's just how it is. Luckily, before things can get any more mushy, a police car rolls up at street level below them. Not spotting Aizawa and Hitoshi from their high-up lookout, Sakachi's still catching rides around, it seems. Because Aizawa sees him in the passenger seat, so it only follows logical reasoning who gets out on the other side. Aizawa feels an urgent pang off Hitoshi as Yamaguchi's head pops up on the far side of the car and he probably hadn't considered she'd see this. While Yamaguchi's seen worse, or at least as bad, it's not the same as seeing the darkness someone familiar is capable of. What Hitoshi keeps down, but allowed himself to vent in that raw, tortured moment. Even if Hitoshi had prepared himself for Sakachi to see this, the detective had brought in the detective had been brought in on the plan, and been warned by Aizawa, while Yamaguchi is still potentially on the outside of all this, and Hitoshi's got every right to worry how she's going to react. Rather than linger to find out, Aizawa gets up while Hitoshi stares at the two figures that disappear down the alleyway, Sakachi's wider shoulders leading the way for Yamaguchi to uncertainly follow after. Let's go. Aizawa coaxes, as if luring a cat with an open can of tuna. But it's just his hand, which Hitoshi turns from the alleyway opposite to stare at, like he's not sure what to do with it. Where? Hitoshi seems so lost all of a sudden, those pinball emotions flying fast when his eyes shift to meet Aizawa's the lighter inner iris framed in a deep indigo border, and there's nothing Aizawa wouldn't do for him. Back to UA, answers Aizawa. Somewhere they'll be safe, 
where it can all stop and rest for an evening before hell breaks loose anew tomorrow. And it's going to be hell now, like it's never been before. Are you coming? Not that Aizawa would ever leave without Hitoshi, but it's a nice enough way to ask. Yeah. Hitoshi's hands are only slightly smaller than Aizawa's, when he lifts one to lay over Aizawa's palm and allow himself to be hoisted to his feet. They're already halfway to the roof, so it makes more sense to keep going up than to head back down. They make it back to UA in record time, and whether the burst of energy that comes from Hitoshi is frustration or desperation, Aizawa is impressed with how well he keeps up pace on the roof run back to UA over the next 40 or so minutes, eventually jogging across the high security gates and only then slowing to a stop. Exercise is definitely a better place to hurl excess emotions than stealing Aizawa's cigarettes so at least he can be SOME kind of good influence alongside all the bad. It's late afternoon, verging on evening, the sun only just starting to wane in its intensity, while their shadows dance like spiders several meters long across the courtyard. This place is always such a ghost town outside of term time, and Hitoshi, a lavender-haired phantom of a student, Aizawa feels a little bad that he wasn't around for his class at the end of term, but only a little. There's going to be lots more terms, but there's only one of this with Hitoshi. Aizawa just went where he's needed most. Hizashi's car isn't parked anywhere, and might still be near the police station for all Aizawa knows, though he somehow suspects after leaving Aizawa and Hitoshi with Cricket earlier Hizashi's next priority was to pick up his mechanized baby and move her out of harm's way. Aizawa doesn't have any messages from him, apart from a few wordless check-in emojis, so either Hizashi and Kiki are in trouble, or they've been having a grand old time. Aizawa's not sure which one is more worrying, because obviously he wants them both safe and well, but there's no telling what Hizashi's revealed about Aizawa to Kiki in the hours they've all been apart. And if he thinks about it too much, he'll sweat even more than he already is. Oh, they aren't here yet, Hitoshi observes as the reality sinks in, which is when Nezu waddles out to greet them, his only company a poker-faced as ever ectoplasm. Welcome back, Nezu pronounces jovially. And though he barely comes up past Ectoplasm's knees, there isn't a shadow of a doubt who's in charge by the powerful aura of command he projects. I trust all has gone to plan. Oh yeah, Hitoshi drawls. By tomorrow morning, I'm going to look like a full-blown serial killer. Excellent. Nezu, and only Nezu, could make this announcement seem as joyous an occasion as he does. And Aizawa's not sure what's happened to his mentalist senses today, but the barrier between the physical world and that extraordinary mentalist one seems especially thin right now. Never before has Aizawa been able to sense Nezu's mental presence so distinctly, 
completely unlike anything he's felt before. Even the powerful lighthouse glare from Hitoshi's quirk that I saw was almost desensitized to is nothing like the strange, powerful signature of the principle. The Shinso brainwashing quirk doesn't work on Nezu, and with a taste of the reason why, Aizawa can see how it could become an alluring obsession for something so far out of their reach. Nezu's energy is distinctly inhuman, vibrates along those mental piano strings that hum like the roar of a great machine many miles below the earth, and the only part that emerges above ground is the petite, smiling creature in an immaculate suit and pinstriped waistcoat before them. Are you quite all right, Aizawa? Nezu inquires, with a canny tilt of his head, and Aizawa wishes he'd paid more attention to Awaya's warnings about managing overstimulation. Reaching up to massage his eyes, which feel like they're full of grit under his eyelids. Fine. Just a long day, he answers, remembering something Hitoshi said about noise-canceling earphones helping with this burned-out sensation, seeing as drowning himself in the bathtub isn't a viable option right now. You can say that again, Hitoshi remarks, and every nuance of his tone, the sarcasm mixed with exhausted sincerity, is like a pinprick on the inside of Aizawa's skull, as if he's become a human mood ring for Hitoshi's every emotion and doesn't know how to switch it off. You are looking a little peaky, though. Hitoshi peers at Aizawa lopsided, leaning over to examine Aizawa's probably bloodshot eyes and light coat of freezing sweat on his face. Did we go too hard on the way back? There's aspiration in there. Aizawa can sense like a flaring light that rolls off Hitoshi and beams from the front to back of Aizawa's brain. He wants to believe he can keep up or even wear Aizawa down in physical stamina, which is an admirable goal, but that's not it. And Hitoshi's always had him beaten at this from the start. The overwhelming fatigue of being next to a living beacon that Aizawa has programmed himself to watch at all times, and only now realizes he's been staring at the sun too long. I'm fine. Aizawa passes off, not at all convincingly. But before Nezu or Hitoshi can pick at him anymore, the sound of the UA gates slide open at their backs. Oh, there they are, Hitoshi remarks, as Hizashi's bright laughter precedes the rest of his presence. Hizashi's voice always carries like his tongue has wings, which it doesn't quite but Aizawa can vouch that there are some superhuman properties it possesses, like the reassuring shiver down his back that says, as Hazashi often does when he bursts in with an all-singing, all-dancing, emphatic, Papa's home! However, Aizawa's happiness level for seeing Hazashi takes an adjustment when he turns around. Kiki looks even more like a natural-born part of Hazashi's entourage, now with the addition of an oversized pair of mirrored sunglasses that scream present Mike from the very rooftops. But that's just the start. What Aizawa's annoyed with, pinballing straight from one extreme to the other, are the large number of bags hanging from Kiki and Hizashi's arms, 
They're a mixed of mixed construction, some plastic and some made from sleek branded cardboard. But Aizawa can spot the logos from here, and he couldn't name a single one, but knows they're all expensive. Because when it comes to indulging vices, Hisashi's the unparalleled master, and Aizawa's hiss is therefore appropriately accusatory. You went shopping?